Welcome back to the Two Men Wall Podcast. This is Match Week Nine, yet another riveting weekend of football. Uh, I actually, I was looking back at some of these match weeks. Uh, this week we had four red cards, which seems like a lot, but this year, of the nine match weeks, there has been one match week without a red card across the slate. Wow. So this has been we. Everybody's going in studs up this year, <laughs> and I don't know if it's for better or for worse. But uh, Chelsea choke a two goal lead. Uh, Liverpool leave it relatively late against Everton at home. Um, Spurs keep rolling. Like this is lots to cover this week. Lots yeah. to cover this week. But uh, we start off in a little bit of a European roundup. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff that if you are simply a strict uh, EPL follower, you may not have noticed from around the leagues. Um, so Ethan, why don't you take us through that? Yeah, so across Europe's top, I should say, seven divisions, um, there have been some drastic overperformers and some drastic underperformers. And I just want to point uh, a few of them out because it's pretty interesting. Obviously, still very early in the season, but we're also getting into, you know, match week eight, nine, ten. So, you know, almost, we're getting towards like, you know, a quarter of the way there. So, not complete flukes. So, first off, we have Girona, or Girona, uh, tied on points at the top of La Liga with Real Madrid after 10 games. Uh, Both are tied on 25 points, which is crazy. Girona were actually top of the league before playing Real Madrid, before they faced the wrath of Jude Bellingham. Uh, (laughs) So, Girona finished 10th last year. Now they're sitting above Barcelona and Atletico, only behind on goal difference uh, to Madrid. And then on the other side of the spectrum, you have Leon, who are winless at the bottom of Liga, dead last. Hey, that's 18th. impressive considering the overall talent in that league. Yeah. Um,. I mean, last year, I can't remember exactly how they did, but I know Lacazette was either, like, top scorer, yeah. second top scorer. Um, Leon really struggling to score goals this season. Uh, not like, you know, a team that you'd be expecting a challenge for the title, uh, but certainly one of the top four clubs in France sitting dead last there. So, big surprise. And then... Probably, I think the craziest one on here is Ajax sitting 17th in yeah. the Eredivisie. They're one point Wild. off bottom. Um, just one win. Uh, just sacked their manager. Um, they've had more games About suspended time. than wins this year in the league. <sighs> so, very, very rough times. I mean, they lost. I mean, Ajax always lose their best players, but... This year they lost Timber, they lost Edson Alvarez, they also lost Tadic, uh, Davy Klaassen, uh, Mohamed Kudus. I mean, they lost all their key players and haven't replaced any of them, or they have, but they replaced them with more young players who are just inexperienced and just not there yet. Uh, so, rough, rough times for the Netherlands Giants. Uh, I think it's like their worst start since like 1950 something. I'm surprised it's not their worst start ever. Period. But 
Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Like, I, I don't think people truly understand the gravity of this. Like, Air Divise, you want to take, talk about top-heavy leagues. Uh, this is a league that's been absolutely dominated by, like, you know, not just Ajax, but, like, Ajax, uh, Feyenoord. PSV. Like, enough. Yeah, yeah, PSV. Not that, not, did I say Feyenoord? I mean Feyenoord. I meant uh, PSV. Um, And it's, like, 17th is, like, they're sitting behind teams that are, like, all, like, 20-year-olds. And, like, like their captain who's 36, and then it's, like, guys who just flip-flop over uh, up and down for the academy team. Like, this is, like... It's wild. Yeah. This is like Man City being in 17th, more or less. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Um, but, yeah. I mean, I'm sure I haven't watched a lick of Eredivisie this year, but I'm sure there's a rightful sacking of their manager. It's, uh, they have so yeah. much talent over there. I can't imagine they can't scrape together at least, like, you know, ninth or something. Mm. Uh, but it is early, so. Yeah. And the last... I'm sure they had their fair share of unluckiness, too. But, go ahead. And the last year I want to mention here... Uh, in my opinion, the most impressive, <clears throat> most impressive is Stuttgart, who are sitting in second, just one point behind yeah. the equally impressive Bayer Leverkusen. Yeah, I was gonna say. Um, yeah. However, Stuttgart played in the relegation playoff at the end of last season. Um, they were in 16th. Uh, if you don't know how it works in the Bundesliga, the bottom two teams get relegated, and then uh, the team third from bottom plays. Uh, the team in third in the second division for a place in the Bundesliga. And Stuttgart were in that game. And now they're sitting second, um, absolutely flying. Their striker, Garassi, is, I think, 14 goals in eight games. Uh, just yeah, absolutely crazy. He's just... Stories of Europe. Yeah. So, I mean, the the Bundesliga... I mean, again, really early, but that title race yeah. is looking hot right now. I mean, Bayern are sitting yeah. third, uh, yeah. and Bayern have Kane's had a good issue, start man. to the season, <laughs> dude. <laughs> that I'm rooting for Kane, and obviously, the last thing I would ever want to see is Spurs win the Premier League. But that yeah. would be undoubtedly the single funniest thing <laughs> I've ever witnessed or will witness in the sport of soccer, as if Bayern. As if when Kane joins Bayern, their 11-year <laughs> title streak ends. And Tottenham's, how long has it been? Like 15-year yeah. trophy drought ends yeah. with, with the Premier League, not like the fucking League Cup. Like, they win the fucking Prem. <laughs> they haven't won the Prem in God knows how long. Ever. Well, they haven't won the Prem ever. Yeah. They won the not, top league not since, since, it, you know, the not since it's been called the Prem. Yeah. yeah. Um... That yeah, that I mean, that would be the fun. I mean, that, that would be, be the so only funny. redeeming thing. Yeah, um, Spurs potentially win the title. Yeah, no. If Spurs um, win the title, then Bayern can't win anything this year. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only stipulation. Um, yeah. Before we get into Match Week Nine stuff, uh, some other stuff that's crazy going around Europe. I'm sure if you've at all kept up with the European football news, at least follow Fabrizio Romano on Twitter, you have heard that Sandro Tonali has done his best Calvin Ridley impression, <laughs> and bet on his own team while he was at AC Milan. Um, I, it was either AC Milan or the team he was up before that. I'm pretty sure it was AC Milan. Uh, and him and a, one of his Italian buddies, whose name I'm forgetting right now, more, less relevant player, uh, both were in the scandal. He is set for a, if I remember correctly, two-year ban from football. I haven't, I haven't seen any numbers, but if... If that's what you uh, see. Don't fact check me on that. But if it's two years, I mean, like, 
is that not career two years what are you gonna like st- stay fit like play just play fifa stuff <laughs> like it's a uefa ban so you'd just be playing international and like you're just like basically training for two years and you don't get any game time like that that's gotta stunt your development like yeah uh, I mean, that's absolutely. like unprecedented yeah yeah um but yeah, it is jeopardizing the integrity of the sport. So two years is, I, in my opinion, more than justified. Um, however, you know, sad for Newcastle fans. I guess you know he was the with their you know st- next level sign, their first like next level signing, and now he's uh, potentially up for a two year ban. Obviously, these things get appealed, and they probably never up being two years, if anything at all. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there. Papu Gomez, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Papu Gomez, he is a central attacking midfielder for Argentina, uh, older veteran player, but he tested positive for doping, so he is now banned for two years. Maybe that's where I saw two years. I think Tenali might have been just like one year, like the season or something mm-hmm. like that, I, but Papu's banned for two years. And then Pogba, some news from a while ago, same thing, blood doping, got tested. Um, uh, he's appealing, saying that he didn't know that it was in there, but I... It's they always say that and they always get suspended. Mm. So Pog was see Pog was career tailing off anyways, but I guess this might be the nail in the coffin. Yeah, it's not like he was playing anyway. He was he was yeah. gonna get on the field for a half hour before his hamstring went or something. Like <laughs> let yep. let's be honest. If they if they didn't say that Pogba was like banned for doping and Pogba just didn't play, like nobody would know the difference. So uh I mean the whole the whole story of Paul Pogba is just sad in general that he could have been yeah. one of the best midfielders of this generation certainly the most one of the most talented undoubtedly but just the way it panned out for him but yeah just uh just another sad chapter of his but yeah I think where I think the controversy with uh Sandro Tonali is whether or not Milan knew this was coming when they yeah. got rid of him. Because if they did, then that's some genius uh, bit yeah. of business. Genius <laughs> if slash... If you don't get uh, caught. <laughs> sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everything is mob tied over there in Italy, so who knows? Yeah. Uh, but we move on to some Match Week 9 coverage. We end our little European roundup. Uh, we move straight into Liverpool 2, Everton nil. Mo Salah, penalty in the 75th. Ethan, penalty or no penalty? Oh, it's a clear penalty. It's like he sticks his arm fully out and not plenty of, none of this, uh, you know, like, you know, like having enough time to react. Yeah, proximity. That's what I'm looking for. And that is proximity bullshit. There were two other proximity uh, calls later that we got to. Yeah, we'll we'll get uh, to that. And we'll get to how I think 90% of the time when people call proximity, it's BS. But yeah, um, yeah, a much deserved penalty, not just because it was a clear handball, but because I think Luis Diaz should have gotten a penalty from after that uh, Nathan Patterson challenge like yeah. three minutes earlier. I mean, completely <laughs> takes him out. I I just don't understand how that's not a penalty. I looked at it like frame by frame, like there's nothing Diaz could have done. Like he yeah. he faked the cross, cut back, and just gets swept out so yeah uh deserve a penalty on multiple fronts there 
Uh, and then again in the 97th with almost the last kick of the game uh, to seal it. Mosala again, uh, quietly like player of the year right now. Like he's been completely Salah is quietly player of the year every year. People just like, <laughs> people just get bored of players scoring 20 goals a season. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's true. He set the standard the, too high the messy for himself. Effect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's the way it would end two nothing at Anfield. Ashley Young picks up a red card in the thirty seventh. It didn't make it any easier for Everton. Yeah. Um, but twenty six shots to six, seventy eight percent possession to twenty two in the favor of the team that you might expect. Uh, this game was completely one sided. Uh, Liverpool fans may be disappointed that the winner came so late, but in the end, no one's really complaining. Yeah, I think it's kind of just how these Merseyside derbies go like yeah Liverpool are so much better than Everton and on paper every time it should be a demolition but it never is it's a big derby you know Everton always get relatively up for it not enough to you know take points out of it but you know to make it interesting and they do it spectacularly every single time they make a real show out of it no they do you gotta respect them for that um, you know, they, yeah. they ban down the hatches and they do their best. So I think, I think Liverpool fans kind of did expect that it was going to go something like this. I think I, I think I may have predicted 2-0 Liverpool for this game or something yeah. along those lines. I said one nothing. I think you said 2-0. Yeah. So, so not, not a complete surprise that this is the way it's panned out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Liverpool are like also like rolling right now and, uh, mm-hmm. Nothing really out of the ordinary in this game. It's just the, you know, Merseyside derbies always come with that extra bit of, you know, equalizer effect because, you know, it's a, everyone's, you know, putting in harsh tackles and I feel like there's always a red card or, you know, a dangerous second yellow at some point in these games. So, uh, but yeah, at Anfield, this should not have been, you know, very uncomfortable for Liverpool. And in the end, I guess it kind of wasn't, but, you know, at, at in the 76 minute like before that the penalty like you could see Everton seeing it out like it wasn't you know impossible it wasn't far fetched but yeah in the end deserved result um Everton on the other hand um i mean he put up their performance we would expect them to put up but right now they're sitting 16th on 7 which is not too bad normally that's not great but right now there are teams in this league that are yeah, drastically underperforming. So right now they're not, not too bad sitting in that position. Uh, next week West Ham away, so difficult. But again, like they have a little bit of wiggle room down there, so not too bad. Liverpool sitting inside the top four. I mean, I I don't know. <sighs> Liverpool fans always seem overly confident in their team nowadays, but I feel like top four was a very reasonable goal for them right mm-hmm. now, and with Man United and Chelsea kind of pooping themselves early in the season, like, it's very feasible. Well, they're sitting ahead of Villa, Newcastle, and Brighton in that order. Like, I think right now, Tottenham, City, Arsenal, Liverpool, maybe not in that order, but that might be the top four we're looking at come Magic 38. Yeah, uh, I think top four has always been the bare minimum for Liverpool going into mm-hmm. this year. At least once the transfer window had ended and you and you were able to see the that they did get that midfield rebuild done 
Um, this is actually the first time that Gravenberch, Savashlai, and McAllister all started together in midfield, which I think is going to be that ideal trio. Um, I know, obviously, they still have Endo, which is, you know, a more defensive option, because obviously this, this is a very attacking-minded midfield three, but Endo just yeah. isn't quite there yet. Um, I, I don't know if he's really Liverpool starting 11 quality right now. Yeah, he was... <laughs> I mean, obviously, he was just kind of like, seems like almost a bit of a panic buy after they didn't get uh, Caicedo yeah, or Lavia. They to plug the hole late in the window, so they, uh-huh. they bought Endo, yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's an exciting midfield. Um, mm. They played decent in this game. I thought they, I thought uh, Gravenberch looked really good uh, against Brighton uh, the match week before, and this, this trio is definitely, go- if they yeah. can all stay healthy, this trio will cause problems so yeah top four is always i think liverpool fans should i think a realistic expectation is that they'd be outside title challengers that they'd be in the mix but never you know never quite sitting at the top yeah yeah i think i i just think liverpool fans thought like they were not that they weren't legitimate title contenders, but just like they are in the same tier as Arsenal and City. When I think, in my opinion, they were a tier below. Not that they couldn't win the t- won the title. I mean, Arsenal certainly weren't in the same tier as City, and they almost won it last year. So, um, they definitely have the talent. But like, I think that they're tier below. And when you're a tier below that top tier, top four is just that reasonable goal. So, we will see. Chelsea two, Arsenal two. What a wicked North London derby this was. Uh, it started off in the 15th minute with a Cole Palmer penalty, even penalty or no penalty. Yeah, this is a penalty. And again, this is one of the, this is one of the times where like, I see like these Arsenal fans calling like proximity, like bullshit. Like, first of all, like he had plenty of time. Like there was, there was a de- there was a decent gap. And second of all, you can say proximity all you want. His hand could not have been further out. Outside yeah. of his body. If it's, yeah. like, a little bit out and, like, he doesn't really have time and he's trying to pull it in, like, yeah, I can see where you want to make that argument. Saliba's arm is all the way out. Never tried to, like, pull it back in. It, it's, it's a clear penalty. Like, stop moaning. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah, I think... We, it's yeah, I think it's possible that this was proximity. I think in the grand scope of the universe of football, this should be a penalty because you shouldn't be defending like that and the fact that you used your arm technically to stop the ball. And by the way, the commentators are making this like going on goal, going off goal thing does not matter at all. Completely irrelevant yeah. to the play. It, it, it should not matter. One, you can't really tell that definitively. It was definitely going wide, but, you know, in theory, you can't tell, you know, because if it was going towards the post, who knows? But it was clearly going wide, but it did, again, doesn't matter. Um, I think it should be a penalty by the by the way the laws should be written, but by the way the laws are written, you can make an argument that this is close enough and he had no, his head was down, he had no idea. Like, you can make that argument, but again, I think that rule is stupid, so I think it should be a penalty. Um, anyway, we move on to a McCollum Mudrick goal that was absolutely brilliant, obviously meant it, saw Rye mm-hmm. off his line, and found the back corner astonishingly because that's the kind of player he is. Yep. 
never even had to look at Raya. He just he no, just had this gut feeling, this sixth sense <laughs> that Raya was off his line. Didn't have to look. The, and the best players have that, you know? Mm-hmm. Ronaldo, Messi, Mudrick. <laughs> and that's the way it would stay. I think Chelsea's best spell of the game was in between like the 60th and 70th minute before the Rice goal. I think it ended with the Sanchez pass, which would lead to this Declan Rice 77th minute uh, goal that was, in my opinion, the best goal of the game. This was this that that he still had a ton to do. Mm. He that that was a very very good finish. Goals open, but yeah, he, I can't tell mm. you how many times people will put that over from there. That is that is a that is a, no, that is a, basically not a striker's easy. finish. Yeah. Um. And then Landro Tosard getting the equalizer in the 84th. Teams would trade half chances, but no one really got that golden opportunity. Maybe you can argue in Ketia's, but that I think Sanchez had that covered. Um, and that's how it would end 2-2 at Stamford Bridge. Uh, points are shared. Chelsea fans probably disappointed not to hang on to a two-goal lead, as most teams are when they don't hang on to two-goal leads. Uh, Arsenal probably disappointed to not beat a very poor Chelsea team right now. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just one of those games where no one's happy. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. This is undoubtedly the worst Arsenal performance of the season. Um, not even close. In, in any competition, even the loss to, uh, to Lens. Lens in the Champions No, this is worse League. than Lens. This is definitely Lens worse. played really well. Yeah, Lens played yeah. very well. And I do want to credit Chelsea because they did play very well in this game. For... 80 minutes, Kukurea and Gusto absolutely clamped Martinelli and Saka. Yeah. They were doing nothing. Every time they got on the ball, Kukurea, Gusto were right on their backs. They had to go backwards. They didn't allow him to turn. And that's what Saka loves to do. Saka loves having guys rain on his back and then just turning him. And he just wasn't able to do that. Uh, so, yeah, the fullbacks played great just overall. Chelsea were moving the ball well. They were in control. Um, obviously, Arsenal's poor play facilitated that, but Chelsea mm-hmm. deserve tremendous credit for how they went about this game. Uh, good atmosphere at Stamford Bridge, too. Don't often compliment the Stamford Bridge atmosphere, but... Uh, after they went up 2 nothing. Yeah, after, you know... <laughs> they, after, after a great start, you know, it picked up. But, yeah, yeah Chelsea... Chelsea deserve a lot of credit, and that's why this collapse is just, just so bad. This could have been Chelsea's like statement. This was this is a yeah. statement performance from Chelsea on the season, but they couldn't make it a statement victory. Like yeah. this, this should have been just like the peak momentum builder for Chelsea season. They're already coming off of you know two wins in a row. No easy feat, you know, for the state of this. Uh, club right now and they could have beaten one of the best teams in the league comfortably and they didn't so uh just a huge opportunity wasted not to get three points out of this um i'm gonna play not even devil's advocate because i honestly truly believe this uh i don't think chelsea played well at all i think if you look at if you really, really break down, you can you if you go back and look at this game through the eyes of Chelsea did not play well. I think you'd agree with me. This is there. Look at let, let's take a look at their two goals. It was a header that was going 
I'm being conservative here, 15 yards wide. That was bailed out by the arm of William Saliba, arguably the best defender in the league. And Cole Palmer, congratulations, had a nice penalty. And then Mikhail Mudrick misses Raheem Sterling by 20 yards on a cross, and it goes over Ryan's head. And that's two, that's, that's two goals. There are other chances to score. They had, I would say, two or three better chances to score. Cole Palmer. Yeah. Here's what I'll say. Here's, uh, Cole Palmer had an opportunity from around 18 yards. He could have tucked it away. Didn't. Uh, Nicholas Jackson had a one-on-one with David Raya where he lacklusterly gave up the ball and just had Raya take it off his feet. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, the issue with Chelsea has not been XG. It's not been creating chances, really. Um, it's been putting them away. On XG, they're like fifth or sixth in the league, which is good comparatively to where they're on the I table. I think even higher. Like, they, I think yeah. they're like third or something. They just can't put the ball in yeah. the net. And they basically accidentally put the ball in the net twice. It was a fortunate penalty and a, and a miss-hit cross. That, and that's what I like. Hey, if that's what it takes to get the ball in the net, then that's how you win games. But in, you, in 100 simulations, that happens one time. I think there were two Chelsea players that I could say played well. Malagusto, Cucurella. You said it. They were 9 out of 10s. Damn near 10 out of 10s. They were so good. Bukayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli are one of the deadliest winger combos in world football. And they both had nothing. Besides Saka's cross to Trossard, mm. they had nothing for 90 minutes. And that was not because of Saka and Martinelli. They were very lively. It was because of the wingbacks. Those are the two guys that deserve immense credit. Shout out, honorable mention, Connor Gallagher. I think he played really well, progressing the ball through the midfield. In that 60th, 70th minute mark, where I think Chelsea played their best football, didn't really get much from it, besides maybe a, a chance or two. But um, they were playing, that was the 10 minutes where they really started to play through Arsenal. Um, Connor Gallagher was a big part of that. He also was a big factor in completely neutralizing Martin Odegaard, who was a non-factor in the game. Mm. Um but everyone else did not play well. I don't think Cole Palmer played well. I don't think Bukayo Mudrik played well. He got very fortunate. It was it got to a good spot for the header, but he obviously missed the header by 15 yards, and the, it was a miss hit cross. I, I really I and maybe I don't think I'm being biased here because if I'm being biased, I would have really shit on Chelsea more. <laughs> but like there was a point in this game where it was one nothing after Cole Palmer. I was frustrated beyond belief because Arsenal were playing like shit and they really couldn't connect any passes and I really don't think it was down to the Chelsea press which was you know good they were working hard um but it was more just like a complete disconnect between the back line and the midfield Rye didn't have a good game either playing out of the back it, it was just like very sloppy and Zinchenko was pissing the ball away and Jesus was pissing the ball away and Jorginho was pissing the ball and it wasn't just like a, a, a forced error it was just an unforced just like not checking your shoulder not you know, miss heavy passes, bad touches. Like it, it was like it. It looked like they'd they'd gone out last night in in North London. That that's what it looked like. It looked like they didn't get enough sleep. Like they set off fireworks at the team hotel. That's what it, that's what it felt like. They just felt like super super rusty. Which coming off an international break, maybe that's the case, but I don't know. And there came a point in between the fifteenth minute mark and the end of the half where Chelsea had the ball. And at midfield, because we gave it away in the midfield, and Chelsea kept the ball with their center backs. Eventually, the ball they the center backs moved up, and they had possession with their center backs at midfield, kind of that high that high line. Um, and I said, in 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 sequence of how it happened, 
they're going to play the ball to their center back. It's going to go out wide. It's going to go into the midfield. It's going to go back to their center backs. They're going to have nowhere to go. Back to the goalie. Goalie's going to play it long. We're going to get the ball back. And in that order, it happened. And then Arsenal came back. Zinchenko pissed it away. Back to the keeper. Center back, side line. Center back, midfielder. Right back. Back to the keeper. Long ball. We got the ball back. Like, this was... They, they could not play through us. Besides the 60th, 70th minute mark. That was their best football of the game. They played through Arsenal very nicely. I think there was one or two times where they broke Arsenal's press in the first half. And that's, that's what frustrated me the most. Was because Chelsea played like shit. And Arsenal played shitter. And that's the reason Chelsea even had an opportunity to win this game. If Arsenal played a 5 out of 10, they win this game 2-0. Straight up. Arsenal played a 1.3 out of 10 today. And it, it was 0.4, but then Saka hit Trossard at the back post and then it up to a mm. 1.3. Like, they, they were gifted the first one. Declan Rice was the only Arsenal player that played well. There was one player that played well for Arsenal, Declan Rice. Maybe, maybe Ben White because he didn't do much. But like, Declan Rice played like a 9.3 out of 10. Everybody else was under 5. That was, and you know, you said it before, the worst Arsenal performance of the season, including Lens, and Lens was ugly. Like, the, the, I, and what concerns me the most about this performance is that in a 38-game season, rarely do you look back at champions and say they had ever had a performance like this, you know? Because these are the games where you have to take three points. Chelsea are a bad team right now and played like shit, in my opinion. And, you know, call me biased if you want, they played like shit. You need to take three points from these games. I don't care where it is. I don't care if it's the Stanford Bridge. I don't care if it's on the surface of the moon. You need to take three points from this game in order to win a championship. And they pissed away two points here. And that's two points that are going to be very valuable come the end of the season when now you're competing with City and a Tottenham Hotspur team that's on fire. That's what pissed me off the most about this performance. I don't care if we go to Man City, draw 2-2 like this, and when we play like shit. Because you know what? That's an okay performance. But you can't go to Chelsea, have them actually play like shit, and then lose. If Chelsea played well, hands up. You know, they, they, I, I've been saying for months, this team could click at some point, Chelsea. And if it clicks against Arsenal, very unfortunate. But hey, so be it. They have the talent. They spent on, the, they spent on, on talent. It could click. It did not click. In fact, I don't, I don't think, I think they played better last week than they did this week. They, this, I, that's what frustrates me the most, is they played like a 4 out of 10, and we couldn't beat them. We, they, they're a 4 out of 10 team that played 4 out of 10, and we couldn't beat them. That's what frustrates me the most. You know, fair play to Chelsea for, like, physically getting a draw, but, like, I don't know. They, like, Robert Sanchez didn't play well. Like, Caldwell didn't play well. Like, I, I don't know. Nicholas Jackson came on, didn't do shit. Like, Sterling was fine, but, like, I don't know. It, it's just so frustrating. Maybe I'm just overly frustrated with Arsenal, but, like, God... That was a painful watch, let me tell you. Um, but where do we go from here? Chelsea now sit uh, after getting one point from this game, which they would be disappointed to not get three with the way Arsenal played. Uh, they sit 10th on 12, uh, just three points behind Manchester United in 8th, and two points behind West Ham in 9th, tied on points with Crystal Palace. Uh, Arsenal now sit third, two points behind Tottenham Hotspur, who sit two points clear at the top of the table, um, only behind by two on goal differential to Manchester City. So, you know, this early in the season, still all to play for, obviously, but I, 
I've I've seen too many Premier League seasons to to really believe that this isn't going to come back to haunt Arsenal later in the season. Well, um, I think uh, <laughs> I think you're saying I think there's two ways to look at this. From obviously, uh, you know, how is this going to look at the end of the season perspective? Yeah. Because obviously, this is a this is a game where on paper against this the state of this Chelsea team, Arsenal should be taking three points. And that's a no-brainer. They should be taking three points on this. But I disagree with you in saying that, you know, oh, champions don't have performances like this. Maybe they don't have performances this bad. But every, every team that wins, you know, the title has performances that should yield zero points. They have performances that they should lose. This is this was one of those performances. This is one of the performances this season that Arsenal should have got jack shit out of, and they got a point. Obviously, they should be taking all three, <laughs> but every every team every season goes into a game that they should take all three points, and they take none. Man City should have taken all three points from Molyneux on paper, and they took none. Arsenal, on paper, should have taken all three points from Stamford Bridge, but the way it played out, they should have gotten nothing, and they got a point. I say, yeah, at the end of the season, I, I say at the end of the season, they could be looking back on that and saying, "Wow, we got a point where we had absolutely no right in getting a point, and that's where it mattered." So I think there's two yeah, ways to look uh, at that. From an, it's just I like, can't believe I'm the voice of optimism for Arsenal here. This is this is <laughs> odd times, but. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, like I look when City went to Liverpool that one year and they got their ass whooped by like the Oxley Chamberlain and the and the Salah long goal. Like you know what came I'm talking about? Mm, yeah, that's because Liverpool went out there and whooped them, and City went out there played like shit, deserves zero points. Arsenal's gonna have those games later in the season. Like those games aren't gonna go away. They just turned what should have been a win on paper before the game and by the way Chelsea played should have been a win and turned it into one point. That's what frustrates me the most. Look, is it impossible for Arsenal to win the title now? Obviously, no. That'd be far-fetched. But what I'm saying is, is that history tells me that this will be a factor come match week 38. That's what I'll say. Yeah, and, you know, it's a fair point, but I think if you think about, you know, you go into a season, every team has X amount of games that they should win and they, you know, drop points from lose or lose. You know, every team will have this many of those games. And yes, obviously, you know, each game is, you know, mutually exclusive. So you can't just say that, okay. Yeah, you know, a game like this won't continue to happen down the road for Arsenal. But they should have gotten nothing, and they got something. It's one of those sure. games where they should have gotten nothing. So, yeah. There's two, two very different uh, sure. <laughs> perspectives coming out of this one. We need to move on for the sake of time. We move on straight to Aston Villa for West Ham one. Arsenal almost ruined Unai Emery. Almost, <laughs> but not quite. 
Uh, Douglas Louise in the 30th. Douglas Louise again from the penalty spot in the 52nd. Jared Bowen gets West Ham's only goal in the 56th. Then Ollie Watkins in the 74th. And Leon Bailey, the insurance in the 89th. Sees it end 4-1 at Villa Park. And the villains are absolutely flying, Ethan. Yeah, this is this is not just, you know, a bit of a purple patch. This is this is a high quality Premier League team. Eleven straight wins at home in the Premier League. Joint second most points in the league this calendar year. Only Manchester City have earned more points in twenty twenty three than Aston Villa. That is an astounding stat and achievement. Um Douglas Louise scored in six consecutive home games. Villa Park is, you know, a fortress right now. Mm. Um, and they're just they're just scoring goals for fun. This attack, Ollie Watkins, Moussa Diaby, you know, bringing on Bailey off the bench. Douglas Louise obviously now in the goals as well. John McGinn, big creative piece. This is just, it's just a really quality team if you look at them. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Iamri's just got them cook, cooking with gas, and it's fun to watch. Yeah. 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 And they're doing it without their captain, too. Tyron Mings is out, and I think it was a serious injury. I think it's yeah, like an ACL or something out for like the that. Season, so, yeah. yeah. So we're, they're not even going to see him again. Um, but Consa and Torres have stepped up. They, I mean, they got Diego Carlos on the bench. Like, they, they got depth in this position. Um, and after that, it's Clayman Longley. So maybe, <laughs> maybe the buck stops there. Um, but yeah, this is like, Ollie Watkins is like one of the hottest players in the league right now. The only reason you're not talking, we're not talking about him more is because he hasn't been really finishing his chances and he still has like six goals in the league. Like he, he probably could have had two or three in this game. Like he, he had opportunities yeah. and he's not even the penalty kick taker. Douglas Lee's the penalty kick taker who's having, you know, a quietly phenomenal season. Like. Play PFA team of the year level season. Yeah. Ollie and, Watkins, five and, goals, five assists this year. Yeah. Yeah. And that's because he's missing chances and not taking pens. Like, really, really rigid team. I mean, very Unai Emery esque. Like, they're, they're on Google has them on a 4 4 4 2. I don't know if it's really that. I think Zeniolo's kind of playing as like a left wing. Um, But Diaby's come in and been exactly the player they needed him to be uh bailey's a bright spark off the bench uh mcginn has found his way back into this 11 when he wasn't before but that was because he was playing like shit and now he's actually playing okay very industrious in the midfield louise again very good dinia has been a defensive liability before now he's been very solid pal torres has been great Emmy martinez has been himself like on paper this is a team that is in the champions league hunt you know, we said that last season with Gerard. Like, hey, this is a this is a team that could potentially compete for champions. Like, could be that Newcastle team of last year. Um, but we didn't believe in Gerard, and they got Gerard out. They got a real, honest to goodness manager in there, and he's got them playing to their potential. Like, this is, I want I want to say I don't want to say not a surprise because where they came from, sure, I guess it's a surprise. But like, can we really be surprised that the on paper this is a great team? Like. And deep too, like before before the Ming's injury, like very very deep, and I don't see it stopping anytime soon. Certainly, yeah. I right think now, sitting fifth. 
Yeah, fifth. And what, they're like one point behind Liverpool, three points off top? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's just four points off top. It's just fun to watch and uh to talk about uh West Ham too. Uh Villa, West Ham, Newcastle and Brighton have kind of been like I mean, they're outside the big 6. And I don't want to say best of the rest because Villa have been better than you know, both Chelsea and United who are in the big 6. But these outside big 6 teams, Newcastle, West Ham, Villa, Brighton have been this year's biggest entertainers. They've played six games between them. All four of those teams have played each other so far this season. And those six games have yielded 30 goals. Averaging five goals a game, which is a crazy stat. Like, if you think back on it, like, what, Newcastle beat Villa 5-1, Villa beat Brighton 6-1, Villa beat, obviously just beat West Ham 4-1, Brighton beating uh beating Newcastle 3-1, West Ham beating Brighton 3-1 like goals absolutely everywhere and these matchups just continue to produce entertainment and yeah there's a there's a big gap between obviously the big 6, these four and then you see the teams in the bottom half of the table. You know, Brentford's kind of had a big drop off and then the rest of these clubs, Palace, Wolves, just don't have nearly the same amount of quality that uh, that these teams in the top have to. So I think I'd be very, very shocked if the big six and the four teams you just talked about didn't round out the top ten come the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't see this team falling off anytime soon. The only thing I could stop them is the European football. Um but they don't seem to be performing too well in that competition, so they might be out of it pretty soon. Uh, might be benefit might benefit them to focus on the league anyway if they want any shot at uh, European football next year. Um, and with that, we will take you around the grounds to round out match week nine, starting off with Brentford three, Burnley nil, Visa in the twenty fifth, a Brian Bomo screamer in the sixty second, and then a Samson Godis secondary screamer in the 87th two absolute bangers um in the rainy night at brentford three nil the final uh connor roberts picking up a red card in the 78th uh convincing performance for brentford they follow arsenal into stanford bridge next week to play chelsea bournemouth one wolves two a game that means a lot when you look at the table and pretty hectic uh, Dominic Solanke opens the scoring for the home side in the 17th minute. Mateus Cunha in the 47th, just after the break, equalizes. And then Lewis Cook gets a straight red card for a headbutt that was a headbutt, but I've seen some more vicious headbutts, I'll yeah. say that. Um, but a headbutt is a headbutt, as they say. And he walks down the tunnel. They hang on pretty well, don't concede a ton of chances, and then in the 88th minute, the keeper decides to, like, instead of hold on to the ball and see out the 1-1, he decides to quickly roll it out to Philip Billing, who is just not ready for the ball yeah. and also surrounded by four defenders, gets the ball stripped pretty easily. It falls to Huang Hee-chan, who slips in... Kalayich. Brace for impact. <laughs> Kalayich. Sorry. Um who 
was a substitute striker. Slides it past. I don't know, I couldn't even tell you who the goalie was. Oh, Neto, of course. Uh, slides it past Neto uh, for the winner for Wolves. A huge three points for Wolverhampton Wanderers. They jump up into 12th when they were sitting in relegation pretty gloomy. They now sit 12th on 11, two wins from their last three. Bournemouth, on the other hand, slipped down to 19th, just three from their first nine games. No points from their last four. Yeah. Uh, That was a huge, huge mishap from Bournemouth. Yeah, this this felt pretty sweet, I'd say, for... Obviously for Wolves fans, but I think for most Premier League neutrals, seeing Gary O'Neill get the win over Bournemouth after he, I mean, you can see the the glaring uh, lack of quality in this Bournemouth yeah. side that Gary O'Neill kept up somewhat comfortably. They had them finishing 15th, 14th last year and still kicked him to the curve. So... Yeah. So I was I was pretty happy to see this result. Uh and yeah. Wolves Wolves are I mean they've got Pedro Neto absolutely cooking. I think he has six assists on yeah. the season. Huang Yi Chan, I mean he assisted well, the been winner. Amazing. He's been in fantastic <laughs> form. But yeah, with those with, with Neto and Huang Yi Chan playing as well as they are and yeah. getting the help elsewhere. This is Kalaich's second, you know, late game winner this season yeah you know the goals are finally coming for wolves not in yeah. huge batches but you know no. enough and that that's all always been sometimes yeah i mean since the you know jimenez jota days goals have been you know wolves big issue and if yeah. they can solve those problems the uh, brighter days look like they're ahead Very true. We move on to Nottingham Forest 2, Luton Town 2, a secretly very, very dramatic game. Uh, Chris Wood in the 48th and then again in the 76th uh, puts Forest up 2-0 and, dare I say, cruising against consensus worst team in the league, Luton Town. Actually, no, I shouldn't say that. Sheffield have been pr- pretty bad, but probably consensus second worst team in the league, Luton Town. Um... And then the defense absolutely collapsed. This is some of the worst defending I've ever seen on a Premier League football pitch. <laughs> if you saw the highlights of oh these goals, oh my god, yes, they this, are both the first unbelievably dreadful <laughs> defending. the The first, um, the first looting goal was was one of the worst set pieces I've ever seen, followed by one of the worst <laughs> attempted headed clearances. He, he. <laughs> Just completely ducks under the ball. Like, yeah. on uh, all fours. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tries to flick it up like a uh-huh. seal and then just, just bounces straight flicks through. It right to Ogba- Shidozi Ogbani, who aims left and it goes right into the net. It was a complete clusterfuck of a goal. But sometimes that happens in the Premier League. And then at 2 1 and crew. When at once it was two nothing and cruising, now it's two one and panic time. But again, and it's Luton Town, so all you really need to do is sit back, make sure that they don't, you know, lob balls into the box, and you should be okay. Psych, your defense turned into just dust in the last fifteen minutes of this game. Uh, number, I don't know who the fuck it was. It was like number, f- yeah, Murillo. 
this guy Mario, who ended up getting a yellow card in the last minute of the game because he took a wildly bad touch. Um, just was it even real? No, it was Joe Worrell because he came on for Willie Bully because Willie Bully got injured. He, if you look back at this goal, it's just like he didn't even. It looks like he he's he's like a striker turned defender. <laughs> like it looks like when they put like. Uh, like a really tall tight end in at the end of the game to like swat out the, mm. the Hail Mary. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what it kind of looked like. Just very unconventional defending. Just like what a defender would look like if you watch somebody defend and then try to defend yourself without ever actually learning how to defend. Except he's a real professional defender. He just he just like jumps in the air and like tries to like scratch at uh, at a bio and like doesn't work and he kind of just turns him pretty easily because he's a strong dude and they finish his past the uh, Matt Turner, who really didn't have any chance at that point. Um, and just like that, Nottingham Forest blow two goals to Luton Town in the last two minutes, at, in the last 10 minutes at home, and let three points slip, two extra points slip away. But a huge point for Luton Town, who uh, now sit outside the relegation zone, that one point putting them one point above Burnley, who sit in 18th. Manchester City 2, Brighton 1. Uh, Julian Alvarez gets it started in the seventh minute. A great run from Doku cuts it back to Alvarez, who mishits it, but it pops right over. Um, Steele, I believe, was the goal. Yes, Steele. Uh, and it was one nothing. And then Erling Holland does Erling Holland things, uh, smashes it in from twenty three yards. Really, Steele having no chance with how much power he put behind that. Um, ending like the and then three game goal drought. That was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Signs of the apocalypse. <laughs> Praying on his mind, I'm sure. Um, and then when at one point Man City were cruising in this game, probably should have had a third right before the Sansu Fati winner. Uh what not winner, God no. Uh consolation, actually. Mm. Uh Ansu does does then come down the field, receives a Matoma pass, and slides it past Ortega. I don't know what's going on with Ederson. Maybe it's rotation. Maybe he's injured. I'm not sure. Uh, was he on the bench? Yes, he was. He was on the bench. So maybe it was rotation. Um, rotation against Brighton. That's very ambitious, but who knows? Uh, Manuel Kanji picks up a red card that made the last couple minutes probably a little bit uneasier than it should have been. But in the end, Man City take three points like they routinely do. Newcastle four, Crystal Palace nil. Weekly Newcastle golden performance uh jacob murphy in the fourth with a pretty sweet goal uh how intentional it was i think it was intentional if it was fantastic goal you know completely lobs um johnstone uh and then gordon in the 44th continuing his good form sean longstaff getting his you know token goal of the season he really gets him (laughs) uh deep into first half stoppage time and then Wilson in the 66th because he always has to score uh, and then it would end 4-0 against Crystal Palace, who sit 11th, Newcastle 6, three points behind Aston Villa. Sizable gap when it comes to how tight that top six has been. Uh, Sheffield United 1, Manchester United 2, Scott McTominay in the 28th, because who needs Jude Bellingham when you have Scott McTominay? Um, and then Ollie McBurney in the 34th, penalty or no penalty, Ethan? Uh, yeah, it's a penalty for me. I mean, it's it seems like he stuck his arm out. It when you would talk about proximity, I don't think there was any there. Like, yeah, 
you know I'm anti proximity, so. <laughs> Um, that would make it one-one, and then cometh the hour, cometh the man. Diogo Dallo hits an absolute peach into the top right corner. It ends two-one to Manchester United, who congratulations beat the worst team in the league <laughs> and take all three points. And last but not least, Tottenham two, Fulham nil. Comfortable Spurs win. I mean, what more can you say about Spurs? Hillman's on the thirty-six with a great goal. And then James Madison, the 54th, to seal it. Uh, comfortable at home against the decent side. I mean, when teams are rolling, these are the results you get, and that's what happens. They sit two points clear. That, and that rounds out match week nine. No final segment this week in the interest of time. So we will end today's podcast with our one and only match week 10 position. Prediction. Not position. Prediction. Manchester United, Manchester City at Old Trafford. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, usually I'm a bit more excited for these Manchester derbies. Obviously, still a big derby. You expect United to put up a very good performance. Keyword, expect. Um, But United's form at home has just been abysmal this season. Usually, even against a team with the quality of Manchester City, at home they're able to get three points which they have done in years past but it just seems like that would be too tall of an order right now for mm-hmm. where they're at um Hoyland could cause City's defense problems and he's been playing well recently but he also hasn't scored in the league yet so causing problems is one thing actually scoring is another um i think city are just going to be too good on the day. Manchester City 3 United nil. Sure. I mean, look, United are not playing well right now. They needed they needed a, a screamer from the right back to to take 3 points on the worst team in the league. Uh However, it's a derby and they weren't playing too well last year when they beat City. So who knows? Also, uh, City weren't like, you know, knock them dead against Wolves. Uh, Wolves. Uh, Brighton. Uh, they did well enough to win the game, but. Whew. 2-1 City. That's what I'll say. And with that, we will round out the podcast for this week. Another tasty uh, set of fixtures coming up next week. Um, just that City United this week to round out. Uh, the podcast. But with that, we'll say goodbye. Adios. See ya.